Have you been able to follow this epic tale as the readers have walked through six lessons? This truest of all stories. It began far earlier than lesson number one. It began in the Garden of Eden. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, when man and woman sinned for the very first time. And the entrance of sin into our world corrupted all things. Paradise was lost. Bliss turned into despair. Deepest intimacy turned into apathy, rejection, distrust. We would say every good story needs tension, but this brokenness, surely it could never be repaired. But God, towards sinners who have rebelled against his kingship, he made promises. He began working to restore all that was lost by providing a savior. We would naturally expect a savior to fall into the category of a Gandalf or an Aragorn with powers, with wisdom of noble birth. No one would fault you for looking to the skies, hoping for a Superman or a a Captain Marvel to swoop in. You might think that a a world-class university would be the one to produce the hero who would usher in this new kingdom with amazing intelligence, with creative thinking, with insight that no other human being has ever had on the face of the earth. The prophet Isaiah tells us that a, a child will be born. This hero baby to come would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, that is exactly what we need. And surely when this child comes, the whole world would recognize his arrival. But as it turns out, this child is to be born to an unwed teenage girl. Huh. That's an unexpected plot twist. And the boyfriend wants to cut bait, so an angel has to intervene in a dream and convince him to stay, and not only that, but to raise someone else's child. That's a messy backdrop for this supposed hero baby's coming. And when he does come, the media miss the whole thing. No one even notices, at least no one important Notices. There's no red carpet. There's no ringing of bells in every city center around the world to announce that this king has come among us. There is just a shed out back with a bunch of barn animals. And the only visitors, the only witnesses to this cosmos shaking event are a bunch of lowly shepherds. Yes, the angel choir is a nice touch, but what we thought was an epic tale is turning out to be quite ordinary. And then there's John chapter one. And what Ethan read, first verse of our passage and last verse of our passage, simply do not go together. Either we think, this is the way our minds would think, either God intervenes from heaven sends down some solution from afar, or he sends someone, an emissary, a representative, 
a, a strong Samson or a wise Samuel to come among us and do his work. Either God intervenes from afar or he sends someone, but John chapter one tells us it's not an or, it is an and. Verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John is talking about Jesus as the eternally preexistent God, the one who has no beginning and no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator of all things who, shockingly, this is what doesn't make sense, in a moment in time, in a little town called Bethlehem, arrived as a human baby to save us. Most Eastern religions would not only scoff at that, but they would reject the idea that any God would every dirty him, her, or itself with the lowly material, fleshly stuff of our world, let alone take the form of a human. Muslims and Jews believe that idea is so outrageous, it is heresy. But we biblical Christians go so far as to insist that without this truth, there is no possibility of sinners being rescued. There is no possibility of brokenness being healed. There's no possibility of life coming from the death that sin has brought about. Why, why does John refer to Jesus as the word? That could be a sermon series in and of itself, but very simply we'll say this here this morning. John calls God the Son, the Word, because Jesus is the clearest and fullest expression of God speaking to his people. God revealing who he is and what he's done for his people. Prophets of old spoke on behalf of God. After Jesus, the apostles would speak on behalf of God. But Jesus has come to speak as God. John's gospel starts with, in the beginning, deliberately echoing the very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if we ask, well, how did God go about doing his creative working? A simple answer, accurate answer would be this, God used words. He spoke. The refrain we find in Genesis 1 is this, and God said, quote, let there be light, and there was light. How did God create? He spoke words. And so here, John repeats, in the beginning, every one of his readers would have recognized that as Genesis 1.1, but now John is pointing to not God's words in creation, but the word, capital W, Jesus. Genesis was talking about creation, origins, John 1 is talking about recreation. Why do we need that? Because sin has brought death, brokenness, corruption, decay. God, in his mercy, is providing recreation, salvation, new life through a fresh word whose name is Jesus. Jesus didn't speak from the clouds. He didn't 
pushed the button of the heavenly loudspeaker so everyone on earth could hear him. No, Jesus, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God the Son arrived as a little baby boy and lived the perfect human life as a man in obedience to his father and died a substitute death on the cross as the perfect lamb of God who is able to take away the sin of the world. We sung these words earlier. We might sing them again during this Christmas season. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate, literally in the flesh, deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. We sung this song earlier as well. O come all ye faithful. We'll sing it again on Christmas Eve. But the second stanza is almost always skipped by churches that sing, O come all ye faithful. I think because the rhythm is very awkward and the words are ancient and unfamiliar to us. But the second stanza says, God of God, starts this way at least, light of light, lo, an old word that says, listen up, pay attention, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Abhor is also an old word we don't really use much. It, it means to regard with disgust. Look down on. Yeah, I would never touch that. I would never eat that. I would never go there. I would never hang out with those people. That's the attitude of abhor. God the Son, Jesus, did not regard with disgust living and growing in Mary's uterus nourished for life by her umbilical cord for 40 weeks, finally emerging like every baby boy and every baby girl has ever done, slimy and slippery and bloody with a cone head. <laughs> this reality that should shock us, even if we have heard it for years, the reality is this, there is no Christmas there is no possibility of sinners being saved without John 1.14. The word, God himself became flesh and made his dwelling among us. One more Christmas hymn that you'll hear in a few minutes. At least the first stanza, it's one of my favorites. And I don't think we've ever sung this here at GRC. Of the Father's love begotten, Ere the worlds began to be, he is Alpha and Omega. He, the source, the ending he of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see evermore and evermore. How do we respond to this earth and heaven shaking set of truths? The song continues with extra verses we won't sing this morning, we won't hear but it says this, let the heights of heaven, this is how we should respond, let the heights of heaven adore him. Angel hosts his praises sing, powers, dominions bow before him and extol our God and king. Let no tongue on earth be silent. Every voice in concert ring evermore and evermore. Christ to thee with God the Father and O Holy Ghost to thee, hymn and chant and high thanksgiving and unending praises be honor, glory, and dominion and eternal victory evermore and evermore. How do we react, respond to these truths at the heart of Christmas?
we worship. We bow before the glorious king in, in his paradox of almighty creator and lowly infant. In humility, leaving us in humiliation. We do not let our tongues remain silent because this wondrous reality of the word made flesh deserves unending praises evermore and evermore. Let's pray. King Jesus, infant holy, infant lowly, wondrous child, called suffering servant 800 years before you came. You condescended because of us, because of our sin, though we do not deserve it. You came. You arrived. You entered into our world and we bid you to enter into our lives, our hearts, as we already sung. Show us your wondrous work. Show us your wondrous person. Show us the heights of heaven. Even as we continue to praise you and recognize with the flawed hearts and minds and voices that we possess that you are God. You are the Son. You are fully human. You died to save us and rescue us and give us eternal life. We praise you this day and this season. Amen.